The Death and Life of Christian Hardcore The Christian underground came undone as it rocketed to relevance. By Joseph M. Keegan Bushnell is a sleepy rail town of under 3,000 on the western edge of central Illinois, less than an hour's drive from the Iowa border. An unassuming cluster of brick storefronts, sheet metal factories, and cylindrical granaries along the train tracks, it is enveloped on all sides by an ocean of cornfields, endless in all directions. A potato chip factory and a plant that makes hammers constitute its major industry. It also appears to be the ancestral home of rolled oats. But for 20 years, it served as the home of Cornerstone Festival, the largest Christian music and arts festival in the entire world. Founded by Jesus People USA, a Chicago-based Christian commune affiliated with the post-Lutheran Evangelical Covenant Church, Cornerstone was launched in 1984 as the Woodstock of the Jesus Freaks. Initially held at the fairground in the Chicago suburb of Grace Lake, the festival moved to a former farm in Bushnell in 1991. Every summer, from then until 2012, some 25,000 to 30,000 people made the pilgrimage to rural Illinois to camp in a field, get rowdy, and worship God. The scale of the operation aside, one thing made Cornerstone stand out amid countless other Christian music festivals. Alongside artists who made up the mainstream of Christian contemporary music, or CCM, performers like Amy Grant, Jars of Clay, DC Talk, there were countless names that nobody who got their bearings from Christian radio would have recognized. And if you happened to wander ignorant into one of their sets, you wouldn't find the placid, hand-waving praise music audience you anticipated. Instead, you see dozens, if not hundreds, of youngsters with mohawks and patch-covered jackets slamming into each other to music of a brutality and volume you could not have imagined. You would have stumbled, as many did over the years, into the vibrant and intense underground of Christian hardcore. In the early 90s, an explicitly Christian scene began to grow inside the broader American music underground. In cities that incubated the punk rock of the 70s and 80s, places like Los Angeles, San Diego, and Philadelphia, Spirit-filled, hardcore bands with unequivocally religious lyrics began playing shows, releasing demos and records, and building an enthusiastic audience. But by the turn of the millennium, post-industrial flyover cities like Little Rock, Memphis, Birmingham, and various towns in Florida became the Christian underground's most fertile seedbeds. In all waves, however, it was a thoroughly evangelical affair, drawing from the ranks of Baptists, Pentecostals, and various non-denominational movements that rose to prominence in the 80s and 90s. It was a kind of gospel music of the disaffected youth at the end of history, one that sought to baptize punk rock and use it for purposes other than nihilistic rage. But it's a misunderstanding to think of the Christian scene as simply a religious version of the fundamentally secular style of music. 
Many Christian bands were pivotal in staking out certain hardcore and metal subgenres. Esocharis and Training for Utopia count among the earliest metalcore bands. Focal Point and No Innocent Victim were tough guy, hardcore contemporaries of future Grammy nominees Hatebreed. Strongarm and Hope's Fall were the earliest pioneers of a heavy but melodic sound that would later become fully mainstream. In some of these micro-scenes, God-fearing bands outnumbered the heathen. In the early 90s, however, when secular punk rock and hardcore was shaped according to the sentiments of groups like the Dead Kennedys, All Religions Make Me Sick, All Religions Make Me Want to Throw Up, Crass, he hangs upon his cross in self-righteous judgment, hangs in crucified delight, nailed to the extent of his vision, and minor threat, you picked up a Bible and now you're gone. You call it religion, you're full of shit. Christian heavy music was forced to operate in an entirely separate parallel universe. Christian bands were often unwelcome, excluded from the bars and punk venues similar-sounding secular bands would play, so many booked church basements as music venues. The first hardcore show I ever attended was in a church basement in Mississippi. But in many ways, this exclusion became an advantage. Pastors saw a great opportunity for youth engagement. Parents who hesitated to drop their teenagers off at a seedy club or punk house were thrilled to see their kids spending more time in a church. Middle American teenagers who might otherwise while away the hours pipe-bombing mailboxes or developing drug addictions found a place for positivity and a community oriented toward the highest good. The difficulty for the Christian underground was finding someone to record and release their music. Punk rock record labels simply did not want to put their names on albums that spoke openly about religious faith. The existing Christian music industry had no place for caustic, distorted, energetic rock and roll. So, in the early 90s, a handful of small labels sprang up around the country. On the West Coast, Rescue, Tooth and Nail, Face Down, Betty Rocket, Five Minute Walk, and Screaming Giant Records launched in California. And Portland became home to Boot to Head. Out east, there were Cleveland's Steadfast, Philadelphia's Burnt Toast, and Take Hold Records in Birmingham. Most began in bedrooms, basements, and apartments. Many lived and died without ever having an office. Distribution for most labels was limited to mail order and a smattering of friendly independent record stores around the country. But around the turn of the century, the veil of obscurity over the scene began to part. By the mid-90s, Tooth and Nail had established a near monopoly on the Christian music underground, becoming the largest independent record label in the Pacific Northwest. In 1997, owner Brandon Ebel founded the subsidiary Solid State Records to focus more aggressively on punk and hardcore music, 
and at the same time brokered a major distribution deal which would get their band's albums into far more music stores than ever before. Christian heavy music suddenly had the imprimatur of institutional legitimacy and respectability. Christian bands began to appear on secular showbills and festival lineups. The tooth and nail pop punk bands MXPX, Puller, and the Supertones ran videos and played live performances on MTV. In 2000, Take Hold Records founder Chad Johnson launched Furnace Fest, a weekend-long, one-stage, hardcore festival at the decommissioned Birmingham Iron Foundry Sloss Furnaces. The festival was one of the first opportunities for Christian bands, heretofore confined largely to Cornerstone, to share a festival stage with bands from a broader secular music underground, and for fans from both scenes to come together at a scale much larger than the usual clubs and backrooms afforded. It was a resounding success, bringing out thousands, and over the next three years, Furnace Fest served as one of the country's most energetic underground music festivals, affording a totally new level of Christian secular cross-pollination. It proved a success for Johnson personally as well. Take Hold had been ailing since its founding, the popularity of the label far outpacing its resources. Certain of its bands were hungry for better representation and marketing. Some had been poached by the rapidly growing Tooth and Nail. In 2002, Tooth and Nail made an offer to buy Johnson's label and take over the Take Hold catalog. He accepted, trading his executive position for a job in Tooth and Nail's marketing wing. Most of Take Hold's bands would be ported over to the heavy music subsidiary Solid State, and from there, Christian Hardcore would take over the world. Former Take Hold band, Under Oath, would become Christian Hardcore's first breakout act. Four years later, they'd bring Tooth and Nail its first gold record. Christian Hardcore underwent a complete metamorphosis in the 2000s. Around the time of the Take Hold buyout, the colossal music conglomerate EMI caught a glimpse of possible profits and began buying shares of Tooth and Nail. The label, started in an apartment living room, had won the attention, and the capital, of one of the largest music corporations in the world. By the mid-2000s, Christian hardcore had become ubiquitous. Solid-state artists could be found on MTV, on the radio, in Target, Many bands, upon their first encounter with mainstream relevance, began to sideline references to faith in their lyrics, disavow religion in interviews. Christian Hardcore had proven a convenient label for building an early audience, but every butterfly must shed its chrysalis, and every snake its skin. There proved an inverse relationship between popularity and piety. We're Christians in a band, many would say in interviews, not a Christian band. My own brother, John Keegan, played in Few Left Standing, a band that was signed to take hold in the early 2000s. 
By the time of the tooth and nail buyout, they had become fierce critics of what they were seeing. All of this stuff began when a bunch of working class kids like us started bands in the service of ministry, he told me. But when it got big, the scene flooded with kids from the suburbs who used the appearance of ministry in service to their band. The fame took over. A song on Few Left Standing's second and last album rails against this tendency. Forget the cause. Image is where it's at. Be all you can be if it suits your purpose. Using him as a cover and taking up the latest fad, it's all a religious fashion show. Trends come and go, but Christ will always remain the same. Frustration with the direction of the scene and budding domestic obligations, marriage, children, and the need for stable careers led to the band's breakup in 2002. They wouldn't be the only ones who made an exit. As the next generation of bands bloomed, many had a hard time adjusting to the rigorous touring and recording schedules demanded by their labels. Their new relevance producing an increased concern for the bottom line. As Christian hardcore rocketed to relevance, it laid the groundwork for its own undoing. A tight-knit church basement scene evaporated as more and more bands entered a touring market of big festivals and high guarantees. In 2010, EMI established full ownership of Tooth & Nail, ending its career as an independent label and making it yet one more investment of a multinational music conglomerate. Tooth & Nail bought its name back, and with it, the ability to operate as an independent label in 2013. But its back catalog remains in the hands of former EMI subsidiary Capitol Records. Cornerstone gradually dwindled, finally calling it quits in 2012. The few bands that drifted to the top continued to enjoy success, but as exceptions that proved the rule. Hardcore had become mainstream, but Christian hardcore was over. In November 2019, Chad Johnson and a handful of partners announced that Furnace Fest would return to Birmingham the following September to celebrate the festival's 20th anniversary. The proposed lineup was peppered with familiar names, as well as with a surprising number of artists from a new generation. The pandemic ultimately delayed the event until 2021. But when last September came around, several thousand people decamped for Birmingham and crowded into Sloss Furnaces to bring hardcore back to life. My brother's band was one of the several to brush off the dust of a decade and give it one last go, and naturally I tagged along. I prepared for a weekend walk through a museum, a Christian hardcore exhibit featuring old punks gone to seed, bands far past their peak, and everyone trying to crank out one last show for their aging, nostalgic fans Everyone's longing sated, but not without a lingering sense of melancholy. I couldn't have been more wrong. The festival was a lively, highly convivial affair 
the attendees from a wide range of ages. It was hard to imagine that many of the bands hadn't performed live for over a decade. And despite its happening nearly a decade after the peak of Christian hardcore, after so many bands and band members abandoned their faith along the way, there was no shortage of references to God. Among the most anticipated acts of the festival was former solid-state band Beloved, which disbanded in 2005 after releasing a few well-loved albums and playing some early Furnace Fests. Before they began, Johnson took the opportunity to say a few words to the crowd. You've given me so many compliments all weekend, he told the audience. But the one thing you've forgotten is that this has so little to do with me and so much to do with you. The audience howled. But then something happened that felt like an echo of the past. Our hope has always been that we can rise above all this, Johnson implored. So I'm going to give you a little piece of my heart. And then he began to pray. Father God, I pray that you would bless my friends, bless my family, bless every single individual here. Help us. Lift our burdens, lift our hearts, lift our anger, lift our hatred, lift anything that keeps us from love. Overwhelm us with love. In Jesus' name, amen. And the crowd roared. Special thanks to John Keegan and Rob Froze for helping with this piece.